Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Sunday. We're yep. Back. Happy Lord's Day. You're back with us reading the Bible. I and, wasn't uh, ready yet. I wasn't, you my mic ready. wasn't you ready. were adjusting your I was adjusting. I'm still adjusting Just my a mic. prima donna, like, I, hold you're on. Prima donna. To, you're brushing your hair out of your, your face. and That's right. Yeah, the emo looks really working for you these days, by Thank the way. Thank you. I've, yeah. been, I've been using a heavier eyeliner. Yeah, the Do black you feel like it's working? Though, or a little off-putting? You know what? I went for a darker shade this time. Yeah. Did you? Well, you know. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is that true? That None of that is true, actually. It's nope. uh, all just uh, farcical. So All in jest. All in jest. All in jest. You know what's not jest, though, is uh, theology. Theology is not in jest. It's not a joke? Right. It's not a joke. Getting Mm. our theology right is important. And uh, yeah, R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Everyone's a Theologian. Uh, Stanley Grenz is another one that's that's written a book. um, Is it called Everyone's a Theologian? No, it's called Who Needs Theology? But his argument in the book, smaller book, is similar that, that, hey, we're all theologians. Yeah. So even uh, Richard Dawkins is a theologian because theology at its core, at its base, is thoughts about God. Um, and so the atheist has thoughts about God. He would say God doesn't exist. Uh, but you, listening to this, you're a theologian, especially as if you're a follower of Jesus. You are a theologian of a unique category. And, and we, right. as believers, are called to understand and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. That's part of the progress of sanctification is, and that's part of the reason why God has left us the word and why we do what we do in the daily Bible reading is because we want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. And, uh, and there's more than ways to do that than just doing your DBR. There's systematic theologies. There's even th- theology courses that you can take online. There's biblical theology, biblical theology, not, a, not opposed to unbiblical theology, but right. a, a way of approaching theology. Right. And, and so theology matters and, uh, and it matters for you as you think through some of these things to, to get it right, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's interesting is that everyone, every, everyone possesses a theological framework. People get, ex- people get maybe a little intimidated when you start using terms like systematic theology, but whether or not you realize it, all of us are practicing theology on a daily basis. Whenever you interpret situations in your life, you're practicing theology. Yeah. You're applying your knowledge of God to this situation that you're in or the circumstance that you're struggling with, and, and you're using the knowledge of the Bible to make, I don't know, to, to, to make sense of what you're seeing. So maybe it would be helpful then for us to give you some guidelines for how to practice theology well. How to, how, to, how to go about it in a way that's going to be most profitable because you can do good theology or you can do bad theology. Yeah. And our concern for you is that you as biblical Christians who are opening your Bibles every day to read through the book of Leviticus, you have some frameworks or some guidelines to help you practice good theology. So Pastor Pichu, help us help us be good theologians. What are some good practices? Yeah, well, number one, the Bible is our ultimate standard. That's a good starting place. Yeah. I so, can't use a comic book or... I can't watch a chosen and and develop a theology about Jesus from that is what yes, you're saying. Please don't. Okay. Actually. Yeah, but or picking up like I'm looking over on my bookshelf right now. I've got systematic theologies by guys like uh, Michael Horton or John purpose, MacArthur. Purpose driven life. Uh, yeah, that one too. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, some of these guys that have written systematic Best life theologies. Now. Yeah, Joe Osteen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that 
sometimes we can be tempted to become such a disciple of a human author that we just take at face value what they write, no matter what it is. Oh, that's a good point. And when we're dealing with the, the, the area of theology, which are again, thoughts about God, then what we have to do is we have to take those things that we're reading and make sure that they are supported by scripture and supported well by scripture. Cause that's the other thing is the second point I would encourage you with is, is to be careful about context when you're studying theology, because people can grab verses out of context in scripture. In other words, pull them out of the place where they originally are intended for and make mm-hmm. them say whatever they want to say. That's true. Um, Zechariah five, seven and eight behold the, in the basket sat a woman and he said, this is wickedness and shove the lid back on the basket and <laughs> threw it back in the water. Right. So, so that's a funny one. I could develop a, th- a theology of women that says women are inherently wicked and we need to always be suspect of them. Mm. Um, and I could say, well, look, I'm, I'm being biblical because here's a passage. But okay. we have to be biblical in an accurate way as well. Oh, that's so helpful, man. I think one thing I would add to that is to do practice theology in community. Yes. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make this a direct line to our community groups, but man, it's helpful to do this stuff in community. In For fact, sure. some of the some some really bad teachers, guys who are really good at twisting scripture, are lone rangers. Yeah. Like they practice theology by themselves. They go to their Bible, and it's just me and a Bible and a lexicon or whatever, and they're developing these really novel ideas, novel, mm-hmm. not as in good novel as in unorthodox. And so one of the best protective measures to do theology well is to practice it among other Bible believing Christians who know their Bibles. And then in that way, you can kind of spot check each other and help each other work through some of the the details and, and ideas that you're working through. And I think that's, an, that's a big and important point. Yeah. And in building off that humility is going to be important in that. And uh, there are issues that are uh, tier one issues, and even with tier one issues, we can be humble about it. We, we can be gracious in our interaction with another person. Um, uh, with a tier one issue, in other words, gospel, who God is, we're not entering into those conversations necessarily looking to be teachable in those situations uh, because we're going to say this is what the word says and, and we're going to hold fast to this. Uh, tier two issues, other issues. For example, the order of salvation, right? Does faith precede regeneration? Does regeneration precede faith? Oh, regeneration precedes faith all the way, bro. I agree. 100%. 100%. But, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that today at church a little bit and even next week. Okay. So uh, buckle okay. up for that. But there are believers that differ on those things. And so we can have a conversation with a believer that differs or disagrees with us and have a teachable heart to maybe look at a passage differently than we've looked at it before. Mm. But there are boundaries to that. We can't. Uh, allow the passage to say whatever we want it to say in that instance. And if somebody is, is crossing those boundaries, then we need to make that clear. But with humility, uh, even as we're correcting somebody in their theology and understanding this is not a personal attack. Uh, so often we get as Christians, our, our dander, our, the hair stands up on the back of our neck and, and we want to make the this dandruff personal. comes back, huh? Yeah. The, 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 the dandruff. dandruff. The dander. What a bummer. Dandruff. Dander. <laughs> the dander. Did I say dandruff? No, you know I said I dander. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Gotcha. We make it personal and and we can get in trouble in that. But, uh, but man, and and here's the other thing I would say to you as well. If you find it, as you were saying, often bad theologians find themselves isolating themselves. If you find that you're holding a lot of views that nobody else around you holds, Mm. it might be time to pick up the mirror. Um, Oof. And, uh, and, and check yourself on that. Right. Yeah. The mirror of God's word. I've been around so many people like that. In fact, one of my, uh, one of my former bosses, not, not at our Sunday church. Let me make that abundantly clear. Not at last church. church. I want to tell you about it. No, but at at another church, he was that guy that was like, I don't want any labels. Don't, don't call me anything. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not. And, And he just, it's like, dude, there have been people that have gone before us that have had good, helpful thoughts that we, if, 
it can be helpful for us to identify with some labels from time to time and, and have the humility to do that. So, and if you're part of a church where you're finding you're disagreeing with a lot of the theology being taught at that church, it might be time to move on to a different church. So you would recommend departing so that so that there's no fights, there's no, I mean, consternation. Is that is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I, again, I, I would I would encourage you first to pick up the mirror and and to say, okay, if if I find myself isolated in this, these areas, maybe maybe it is me. Maybe I do need to go back to the drawing board on this. Understood. Yeah. But if if at the end of the day you still have your convictions, then for the sake of the unity of that body, I think it's good for you to move on. I'll add one last thing, man, and I'll just say I think one helpful approach when you're theologizing, when you're practicing theology, is to just do it carefully. Yeah. Um, you, it, it relates to what you just said about humility. Um, it's recognizing that we could be wrong about some some secondary, tertiary things. Again, I think when it comes to the the main things, the main things are the plain things, as we say in, in seminary circles. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. The things that God really wants us to know are pretty evident. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to our salvation, we're not left guessing. Now, there's particulars about some of the elements that are related to our salvation, and we can disagree on those things. And we should do that among brothers and sisters who love us and who, who we love, um, but we should be careful about that. We're handling God's word, and yeah. we shouldn't be flippant or careless and just tossing ingredients together like it was a, a soup or a salad. We're, we're, we want to be careful yeah. in how we put things together and, and take advantage of the resources that God has put into our lives. I mean, we've, we constantly talk about the fact that we have things like Logos, and we have books upon books at, at Amazon.com or at ChristianBook.com where you can get them in a matter of hours, the best books written on a given subject. We ought to take advantage of those resources and, and hold our secondary and tertiary, our third level opinions loosely and, and humbly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, let's get into to God's word. Let's do it. And talk some theology. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do some theologizing. Leviticus 16, 17, and 18 today. Uh, Leviticus 16, we've got the day of atonement. You said this is your favorite one. This is my favorite chapter in the Leviticus, whole Bible in Leviticus. Yeah. In Leviticus, yeah, this one rises to the top. Verse two, by the way, uh, where it says, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat uh, of the ark so that he may not die. This is why some people teach that the the sin of Nadab and Abihu was that they went into the holy place uninvited. They went into the holy place at the wrong time. The connection here in Leviticus 16 too. Again, we're not going to pound the pulpit on that one. It's just another idea that's out there as to to why they, uh, they died. Uh, but verse four, uh, the, the high priest has to get himself ready before going in and, and doing this. He has to purify himself with this ritual ritual cleansing. There's that word again. I, I mm. struggle to say. Um, he's got animals that he has to bring. He's got to bring a bull uh, for sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He's got to then also provide for the people uh, two goats, one for a sin offering, one for uh, the, the scapegoat that we'll talk about, and a ram for a burnt offering for the people. And so the ceremony, as it would happen, was the the, the two goats were, were brought and they were presented. And one goat was drawn by Lot to be the, the goat that would be the sin offering. And so that's the goat that was slaughtered. That's the goat that its blood was shed because sin demands the shedding of blood. It demands the life of the animal. And uh, and that blood was taken in and, and offered and it was sprinkled before the, the uh, before the Lord on the altar. And, and that was the sin offering. The second goat was, you've heard the term scapegoat, and we use it in uh, both in religious circles and non-religious circles, and, and it comes from this concept. The second goat was the scapegoat. And this goat, the, the priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people. And I've always been curious about that. Like, okay, 
how long were they there? <laughs> like, are we, are we just categorically? I would have to think as a general. Like, yeah. I mean, clearly he's not going to every single sin. Anyone else? Anyone else? <laughs> what else you got? Right. Right. But he confesses the sins over the, the head of this animal, metaphorically conveying the sin to this goat. And then that goat was sent out into the wilderness, into Azel, Azalel? Azazel? Azazel, yeah. And, uh, and we don't even know what that word means. Could be a goat demon. Could be a goat demon. <laughs> At least that's what I read in my commentaries. Azazel, yeah. goat demon. Yeah. The, the picture, though, is this. The, the sins of the people were being carried away. Right. The, the, the theological term for this is expiation, right. um, which means that our sins are being removed from us. We are being cleansed. Uh, this is connected. This, this Day of Atonement is connected to the New Testament concept of propitiation. Propitiation being the concept that God's wrath is satisfied. Okay, so the sin offering, the death of the animal, God's wrath is satisfied. So to propitiate is to satisfy. Right, is to satisfy. And then to expiate is to remove, to, to, to take away, to cleanse. And so in the Day of Atonement, you had both taking place through both of these, these goats. Mm. Fast forward to what is the Day of Atonement pointing to? And this is why this is my favorite chapter in Leviticus. It's, it's pointing to the cross. This chapter has the gospel all over it. And it's at the cross that Jesus both propitiates God's wrath and expiates our sin in one sacrifice. Are you saying that at the cross, his love ran red? At the cross. At the cross. Yes. Where his love ran red. <laughs> if it Chris Talman reference. If it wasn't for the cross. If it wasn't for the cross, our curse would not be broken. Curse would not be broken. If it wasn't for the cross, man. Yeah. So uh, just a, a cool concept wherein we see the, uh, the idea of the, the gospel here in the Old Testament. And it's just a reminder again that this is, this is not a new thing that God is doing all of a sudden when Jesus is, uh, is, is on the scene. It's not like they said, well, the law didn't work, so let's send Jesus now. Uh, this was on the scene from the word go. And uh, it's, it's such a, a good reminder to us to, to look for the gospel and see the gospel represented so many times in the Old Testament. And this feast, as we're going to see in a few chapters later in, in Leviticus as well, was one to be repeated every single year by the people. Still is today, actually. Day yeah, they still they still practice it. Yeah, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yom Day. Kippur. Atonement. Atonement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, this is one of the few times where God tells them to afflict themselves. Um, this doesn't refer to self-flagellation. This is not them beating themselves with sticks or rods. Thankfully. Th- thankfully, this is them fasting. They yeah. are called to fast, to withhold from eating in order to give greater clarity and insight to what they're doing. Yep. Yeah. Chapter 17, then we get into laws about sacrificing animals. Uh, verses three through seven, God has to confront the people because they were sacrificing animals in the wrong place and offering them, here we go, goat demons, to goat demons here. And that's why we think Azalel could have been, some, which is weird, because then why would God be sending it out to this demon? It's, it's, a, it's a weird situation, but yeah. it seems like some people were doing this already. Yeah. yeah. And so God's calling them out, confronting them on that because there's a new pattern now that the tabernacle is here, that the, the sacrifices and offerings weren't, weren't to be made just willy-nilly in, in uh, you know, the, the backyard of somebody's tent that they had set up in the wilderness there. They needed to do this in the, the appropriate place in the appropriate way. And, and there's the danger of them being, again, cut off, cut off from the people. We've talked about the word cut off. It, it could be excommunication. It could be that they were sent out from the people and away from the people. That's possible. It's also possible that there was an eternal element here. And I, and I don't think the two are mutually exclusive because oftentimes in the Old Testament to be cut off from the people, think about the, the, the idea of the kings. The kings were often talked, spoken of as, as being buried with their fathers. 
And that was not just the kings, but also you see that in the examples of, of Abraham and Isaac and some of the, the forefathers that we've already seen in our time in the Old Testament this year. They're buried in the tomb. They're buried with their fathers. They go to rest with their, their ancestors. And so the idea of being cut off from the people could carry over into the, the eternal concept as well, that, hey, you're not you're cut off from your people, you're cut off from your, your fathers, you're cut off from God, so to speak, here. And so uh, this was really significant. Uh, in fact, it, it's possible this held more weight than just the execution. Because the execution, the death penalty, did not necessarily have eternal implications, although it could have. It was more of the the, the wages for the, the atrocity committed. But here, it seems to, that this reaches beyond just the temporal into the eternal. So you're saying that when you see the word cut off in, in the Old Testament, it's likely a reference to their eternal state? I think so, yeah. Wow. It has a whole new level of gravity to this. It does. It does, for sure. For sure. Leviticus 17.11, note this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes atonement by the life. That's why, right there, that the Israelites were not allowed to eat the blood in an animal. Uh, it was the life. It was that which was given for atonement. And so God wanted the people to be mindful of that, whether this was a sacrifice or you were just making steak for your family on the weekends, mm. the, the blood was prohibited because this was there was something significant in the blood for the people. When we talk about the blood of Jesus, we have, we have a song about that, nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Um, nothing can for sin atone. Uh, right. well, what can for sin atone? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is there anything how do I put this significant or special about the substance itself oh. or is it about what it conveys? Yeah. MacArthur got in trouble on the, on this one. Yeah. That's time. exactly what I was thinking a long about time ago. He, he made the, the point. He said, there's nothing special, special essentially yeah, yeah. about the actual literal blood of Jesus. Um, <sighs> I, I understand his argument. I understand the argument on the other hand. I understand why we make so much of the blood. I mean, uh, even scripture does. It's it's a such a metaphorically low ridge, yeah, uh, concept that uh, there there's something there. And he is the Son of God. He's God incarnate. So I can't Jesus, say not that, MacArthur, right? Okay. Right. So I can't. <laughs> yeah, let's be clear on that. He may be the Protestant pope, but he's not the uh, Son of God incarnate. So I can't say that there's nothing operative in the blood itself. Um, the death was necessary. The shedding of the blood was necessary. But uh, where I'm sympathetic to his argument is the soldier who pierced his side, if the blood that poured forth from Jesus somewhere to have gotten on that soldier. He wouldn't have been healed and yeah. saved or some, right. kind, some, some kind of transformation wouldn't have taken place. Right. I don't think there was anything magical or mystical about the blood of Christ. Right. That's but there's getting at. definitely symbol, symbolic metaphorical you know, purpose and, 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 and importance to the blood. So here then in Leviticus 17, what we're seeing then is that God cares deeply about the fluid itself because of what it represents, what it symbolizes. Um, it's not that the blood itself has some kind of special concoction magical, or right. magical potency that does something other than what God is saying here. Right. Yep. 10-4. Yep. Chapter 18 then is on the big word. It's on sex. Unlawful sexual relations is what my chapter says here. Right. And that's what it boils down to. I mean, verses one through five kind of set the stage by saying you need to be different uh, than the nations around you. Don't be like Egypt. Don't be like the Canaanites. And, and so often when we read in the law, it gives us a glimpse into why God was driving the people out of the land of Canaan in the first place. Because so often he'll say, don't be like them for they do these things, which is why I'm driving, I'm driving them, out. them out. That's exactly why. Um, and so God is calling them to be different, to be distinct, to be unique. Uh, verses six through 18, then you get the laws against what we would define as incest. 
uh, incestual relationships. We've talked about this before may have been permissible at certain times in the formation of God's people, even back in the, the, the dawn of time. More than permissible, it would have been necessary. It would have, yeah, was necessary at that time. Part of God's creation and good purposes at that point. Right. We're, Ill, we're, we're like, we're, we're ickied out by that because right. of the modern conception and, and appropriately so, right. which is not something we should be okay with. But just know this is when, this is when it enters into law for Israel as, a, as something they should not do. Right. Right. And, and you can read through those. And it, it, he's very specific as far as what is and what's not appropriate in those various relationships that that could present themselves. Uh, verses 19 through 23, we get some more various laws again dealing with the same thing. But I do want to point out verse 22, Leviticus 18, 22. You got to go for the worst ones. You're going to quote 23 too? Uh, well, no, but I was going <laughs> to. I mean, yeah. Uh, and again, parents, <sighs> just uh, hey, you may want to push pause just for a second, parents. Uh, if Listen not, first. Yeah, listen first. Pastor PG is going to get us an explicit label on our podcast today. You have been forewarned. <laughs> yeah, no. Leviticus eighteen twenty two says, "You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination." Okay, so that's pretty tame. It's pretty tame in the way it says it. Right, could be far worse. Pretty in the way tame. It communicates could it. be far worse. But I was going to say it's pretty clear, right? Yes. I mean, this is this is about as clear as we can get. Okay, but pause for a second. Okay, because someone who knows her Bible is going to throw a flag on the plane and say, "But." This is the Mosaic law, buddy. We said, and you guys said it. We did say it. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. Mosaic law is out the window. Why do we still still use passages like this? Well, we've also said in the same time, when we see elements of the law that are reaffirmed in the New Testament, then those are things that we still abide by. Mm. And so this concept, though it's not stated exactly this way, is also made plain in the New Testament in Romans chapter one, when Paul talks about uh, men giving up natural relationships for unnatural relationships, women giving up unnatural relationships or or natural relationships for unnatural relationships that are talking about... Uh, homosexuality. And so the the idea, the concept, the doctrine is reiterated there in the New Testament. And that's something that causes us to say, well, that's why this is not just something that we say, well, it's the Old Testament, so it doesn't matter. No, it, it does. It does matter. It is something that we still need to uh, hold fast to and not compromise on. And this is an area where churches are compromising left and right so fast. And, and listen and watch and pay attention to also, because this is, it's, it's not going to be, um, it, it's not going to be the areas that we might expect. Like I, the government's not going to come to us. I don't believe anytime soon and say, uh, you can't preach that somebody needs to repent from their sins and trust Jesus. It's going to be in, in these areas that persecution begins to hit the church. And so when we look at some of the other, we used to have allies in this that are not spiritual allies of us. For mm-hmm. example, uh, Islam, very clear on their teachings on homosexuality. And so if you go to uh, Muslim countries, Muslim nations, even some of the ones today that are more strict, you'll find that this is a sin punishable even by death in some of those nations. Um, The Mormon church also, again, not a spiritual ally of us, but they were an ally on this front with us. They taught that marriage is simply between a man and woman, period, end. Sometimes multiple uh, wives, but uh, still, opposite genders coming together. Catholic Church, again, that's another big one, taught against homosexuality. Uh, The enemy is going to want to go after, the the enemy is going to want to isolate us here, right? So the enemy is going to want us as the the biblical, faithful church, the bride of Christ, to hold fast to biblical teachings when everybody else around us is falling like and dropping like flies on these issues. And that's what's going to cause us to stand out. And if if we are going to face persecution, I think that's where it's going to start to come. 
Yeah, there's several texts, um, what some people call the clobber texts, that talk about homosexuality. This is going to be one of them. We're going to see this again in a couple chapters. Yep. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 6 9 is going to be one that you probably want to write down, uh, maybe even next to this section here, because it's very likely that when Paul speaks about homosexual behavior in 1 Corinthians 6, he's actually drawing upon the Greek words that underlie the words that you see here in the book of Leviticus. So when Paul talks about it. He is inventing new terminology. Yeah. Um, arsenikoites, I believe is the, is the first one. The other one is malikos, 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 I think is how you say that. And he's, he's talking about the two people that would be involved in a, in a, in a relationship of that sort. And he gets it by and large from Leviticus, which shows that the ethic, the sexual ethic that we see in Leviticus is in fact, as you were saying, Pastor PJ, carried over through the New Testament. Right. Right. And, and, and I, maybe this is a helpful time to, to dive into this. Uh, yeah. I mean that that word Malakos is our our world in those churches that are dropping and compromising on this issue are trying to make the argument well that that didn't mean that meant that was against pedophilia. You keep using that word, right? I, I don't, don't think, think you, it means right. what you think it means. They were arguing that 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 was I think they call it pedastry. I think is what it's referred to. Pederasty, I think is pederasty. Yeah, um, Matthew which Vines is, made that popular. Yeah, a, a grown man with a, a young boy, and that that that's what Paul was was arguing against, but the. The, the the exegesis, the study of the text, the, the the Greek language doesn't hold up to that in the end. It's it's clear that Paul was, to your point, echoing the the background here of Leviticus and other passages. And you know, it's it's not that 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 Malachos is the only passage that we're looking to for these these principles. We see it all over the place in so many other areas. So um, this is not an issue that that we're going to give any ground to. Period. End of story. Ever at any time, at all. Amen. Ever. But but what about at any time? Ever. What about in the year Never. Not once. <laughs> I think I'm tracking. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah. Verses twenty four through thirty, then the threat of judgment for disobedience. Hey, this no animals too, happen. by the way. You also just, yes. no animals. Yeah, verse twenty three is a uh, we're not gonna do anything with animals that shouldn't be done with animals. Don't do things with animals. Yep. That's uh that's sadly, I think it needs to be said today. Uh it probably does, yeah. No, not probably. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Thought of judgment, verses 24 through 30. Um, 24 through 25, again, notice this is why the Lord was going to drive out the Canaanites because these things were being practiced. So, yeah, there's uh, a lot there in 16 through 18. But uh, rem- remember that, that, that chapter 16, having the, the gospel so clearly displayed in a book that's all about the law, that, that's pretty cool. So keep reading your Bibles and tune in tomorrow while we uh, continue to study the book of Leviticus. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.